that deleveraging that you're seeing uh, in the West is actually going to be beneficial for gold. And I think you could also make the case that these banks realize that all this money printing, they can't stand in the way of a tsunami. I mean, there's just been so much money created. Uh, if you take the COMEX, for example, the, since COVID happened, uh, futures activity has been sanguine. It hasn't been as pronounced as it was the prior 10 years. Uh, so you haven't had the impact, you know, like for instance, silver, you know, it used to do $2 bombs on a Sunday night, no problem. Now it's getting tougher for that to happen. I mean, you're seeing the physical market come alive very quickly and that's forcing the shorts to cover and, and not be able to press that position down. And as it begins to take fold and we delever like we are, um, metals moving into strong hands. Uh, I think when we hit 125 to one on that gold silver ratio uh, back in March of 2020, I think that was probably it. You'll probably never see that number probably in our lifetimes again. Um, I think it's like pulling back on a rubber band. And now that 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 trade is going to go the opposite direction in an extreme fashion uh, uh, down to 20 to one or 15 to one. To me, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I think silver will outperform gold on a relative basis. Not to say that gold and silver will both perform well. I think it just silver will be the money maker, so to speak. Welcome to this RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have first-time guest, Mr. Bob Coleman. He is a precious metals dealer, as well as runs a storage company, as well as a consultant. And today, he's joining us to share his thoughts on the global monetary system, the importance of precious metals, as well as a variety of other subjects. So, Bob Coleman, welcome to RTD Interviews. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, Bob, I appreciate you taking time to join us and uh, definitely want to give the viewers a chance to get to, a chance to know you a little bit better. So if you don't mind, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you've arrived at this point in your career? Sure. Uh, yeah, I started in the financial industry back in 1992, uh, uh, more on the investment advisory side, portfolio management side. Uh, then uh, 2001, uh, now I was with basically Dean Witter, Morgan Stanley, and then I went independent. 2001, I started my own RIA, RIA firm, uh, registered investment advisory firm. And then I also started a hedge fund. Uh, and then 2006 or so, I saw the need for physical metals as the system was leveraging up and banks were leveraged 50 to one. I was like, God, this is not going to end well. So I looked at uh, precious metals because you could hold that outside the system. Uh, 2008, I saw the need to basically create a depository because I looked at all the depositories at the time and none of them fit my risk profile. So I ended up opening my own depository. In 2010, we went live with that depository. We're now one of the largest private depositories in the country. Uh, we have a $500 million all-risk insurance policy. Uh, we do also shipping uh, as well as we have an armored car service as well. So um, from that standpoint, uh, I also have relationships with wholesalers to buy and sell metals. Uh, we also do that as well. So, and then I, with the hedge fund that I manage, it's also it's a precious metals a hedge fund. All assets are in physical metals stored outside the financial system. All right, understand. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, definitely looking forward to diving in. But before we get into some of those things, because you hinted on a lot of things, I'm going to definitely touch on. But you know, if we were to use sports as an analogy, as you know, where we're at in, this, in the global monetary system, lots of things happening out 
out east with the introduction of possible metals into the monetary system at some point in some capacity you know based upon what you're seeing what what inning are we in what uh, what quarter are we in as far as there being some type of major announcement coming out sometime soon if not already i think you can look at it as um you know, we're driving uphill without brakes on or, or without the brakes working. So at some point, we're about to start going over that hill. And when we do it, you won't be able to stop it. The question is, with Russia, uh, you know, some people say that Russia may have sort of uh, unintentionally or maybe intentionally uh, created a, a potential tipping point or their financial assets being frozen or you'd have sanctions, that type of thing. So that, you know, they probably were playing some kind of chess game uh, anticipating what our moves would be. And I think um, uh, you know, not to say that, you know, they're doing everything right. We're doing everything wrong. The problem is it's the image. I mean, when Trudeau basically shut down people's bank accounts, uh, that's a scary thing. People talk about confiscation of precious metals. What they don't understand is it's so much easier just to turn off someone's bank account. I mean, the ability not to transact is is enormous in and of itself. So there's more risk in financial assets than there is in physical metal, which, and not only that, precious metals from the confiscation side, I don't see that as an issue. Um, I know a lot of people say 1933 Bank Holiday Act and look what they did there. But in reality, back then we were on a gold standard. They had to inflate the money supply somehow. So it was just natural for them to try inflate the dollar back then against the underlying gold itself because that was back in the financial system. We don't have that anymore. We're on a fiat system. They can print money at will. They've shown it. The Fed can expand their balance sheet at will. They've shown that too. I mean, it's, but, but now we've had potentially the top of a bond market that's lasted 40 years. Um, you've had the stock market, which has been running gangbusters. There's a lot of you know, leverage is at all-time highs, debts at all-time highs. I mean, hell, we had negative interest rates, which we've never seen before in our lives. So there's a lot of things that we've seen in the last three years that may have marked some kind of generational top in financial assets um, relative you know, in real terms, uh, maybe not in nominal terms because the stock market could certainly go up, but if with inflation at you know, five, six, seven percent, uh, or you have a negative real rate of return right now because inflation is higher than the 10-year note, people are losing money even though their asset prices are going up. So, so the world is kind of changing, and I think that's the strategy be behind you know, whether it's the U.S. government, Federal Reserve policy, whatever it may be, but to basically turn the heat up slowly on the public rather than all at once. And, and I think they're, they're, you know, people don't realize, well, maybe I'm not losing money in my bond uh, investment, but in reality, you're getting killed because <laughs> you're not keeping up with inflation. So, so yeah. th those are themes. You know, the Russia theme, I think, opened up Pandora's box by us freezing their reserves, and now other countries are saying, "Well, God, if the U.S. doesn't like what I'm doing, they're going to freeze my reserves." You know, so what kind of safety do I have there? Uh, and Russia did something interesting with uh, with the gold uh, by uh, offering to buy grams at 5,000 rubles. Basically, I think that with their attempt was basically to use gold as the neutral reserve asset to bring the ruble, strengthen the ruble back to where it was pre-war pre, uh, days. And it's so far, it's working. I mean, the ruble has had a very big jump uh, the last few days. So uh, 
that's a different tinge on what we've been seeing. Of course, then you have the oil for gold or oil for one or, or, or using gold or oil as an intermediary neutral asset. Those are things that more countries are going to start doing and walking away from the dollar, even though the dollar is still king of the currencies, it's still being used primarily you know, as world trade. These are just chinks in the armor. Right. Good point there. So, yeah, one of the things that really stood out to me, the way you worded it was that, you know, the sanctions led to, you know, the asset seizures. And then, of course, the account's been frozen. And of course, you know, world, the people as well as the nations to realize that, you know, what, what, what might be labeled as yours may not be yours if you can't get access to it. So here we are now with everything unfolding. Now, you know, in the ports of precious metals, uh, gold and silver is one thing we've been big here on this channel talking about just because to me, it is, it is real money. And so everything outside of that is a derivative of some sort. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the, the, the electronic traded funds and the, all the other products that have been created uh, to cover over and paper over, rather, the importance of actually having the real physical in your possession or being able to get near, near it. What, what are you seeing now as far as the possible threat against the Western's control with the futures market and things like that? Now that, you know, gold has been brought into the spotlight out east, how that how might that impact the Western control over being able to control spot price and things of that nature moving forward? Well, I think it's important to distinguish ETFs and futures and some of the other uh, paper traded products. Those are representations of price. I mean, in reality, you're not going to go to GLD with 50,000 shares and say, OK, I want my gold because that's a lot of money, first of all. Secondly, the authorized participants, the one you're actually going to try and get the gold from, not necessarily GLD itself. You, you'll redeem those shares. Um, there, there's a lot of nuances with the London market and the New York markets. Um, London market is very opaque. You have banks that have been walking away from the industry. Uh, you know, they've been, um, it's been actually, they've been penalized basically from doing these unallocated accounts where basically it's their balance sheet that's actually supporting that program or that unallocated position versus you know, actual physical gold. So now they have to pony up more money uh, if they want to run that type of program uh, with clients that, uh, that want to buy into a, a paper gold product. So uh, now banks are, are doing more allocated type of, of one for one type relationships because they don't have to tie their balance sheet up. And that, and that type of theme, that deleveraging that you're seeing uh, in the West is actually going to be beneficial for gold. And I think you could also make the case that these banks realize that all this money printing, they can't stand in the way of a tsunami. I mean, there's just been so much money created that I think Basel is, you know, th this what they put together was basically to say banks start standing aside from, you know, this chaos that could, could potentially unfold. And all of a sudden your balance sheet just gets wrecked. Um, and so from that standpoint, like we've seen the, 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 the COMEX, uh, if you take the COMEX, for example, the, since COVID happened, uh, futures activity has been sanguine. It hasn't been as pronounced as it was the prior 10 years. Uh, so you haven't had, the impact, you know, like for instance, silver, you know, it used to do $2 bombs on a Sunday night, no problem. Now it's getting tougher for that to happen. I mean, you're seeing the physical market come alive very quickly and that's forcing the shorts to cover and, and not be able to press that position down. And as that, as that, as that begins to take fold and we delever like we are, um, metals moving into strong hands. Um, and so uh, I think that's 
that's probably the positive from all this. Of course, China has been a big buyer of metals. A lot of central banks around the world have been net buyers of metals over the last eight years, and they have been net sellers of U.S. Treasury. So I think you've seen this oil tanker kind of slowly turning here, uh, and, and that's actually – you know, it could actually start to pick up steam, especially with Russia and so forth. Uh, and you see it with commodities all over the board. I mean, mm. you're you're seeing whether you call it supply side side shocks, you know, the fertilizer and all that type of stuff. It's impacting people, and I think you're getting to a part point now where this election coming up is going to be kind of symptomatic of what we're going to probably see in 2024 is that, you know, the public is saying, listen, we're being eaten alive here. Um, we need help. And the, I think the Fed is forced to raise rates. The question is, now that they've raised rates um, or they're starting to raise rates and tighten, that's going to impact the asset markets at some point. And then they're going to eventually have to come back and probably expand their balance sheet again. Uh, but it'll be even bigger. And I think that will be the last hurrah. So if you're looking at that sort of innings that we're in, you could probably say we're probably the third inning uh, into this whole mess, I guess you could say. But by 2024, I think it could get pretty pronounced. Um, and then by the end of the decade, you, you know, I've, I've read a number of people's work where we could be basically, you know, at the may have seen the United States as a power or, or a, 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 a dominant force in this world start to lose its luster. And that's a shame because, you know, when you live off, you're burning the candle at both ends and, you know, you're borrowing money and you're printing money and you know, it, it's, it's a difficult situation to, to, to maintain that sustainability. All right. Very true there. So one of the things you did mention was the LBMA. I'm assuming you're referring to the whole nickel debacle over the last uh, week or two or so and how that really brought to the forefront the amount of paper activity happening and shorting of things to the tunes of billions. And I watched, you know, cause I wasn't too aware of that market until it, it imploded. It looked like, but of course it caught the world's attention. And so a lot of people are saying that my, wow, what if one day that happens to gold or what one day if that happens to silver, what type of numbers will we see? Were you surprised at that activity? And is that a, is that something that we could possibly see in the gold and silver space in particular, if, if something goes wrong and with all the, activity happening on the west yeah the, yeah the lme london metals exchange um is where the nickel took place and and the lme does dabble with gold and silver but it's not a very big player in the gold and silver market um the oddity with nickel is that a lot of producers from what i've been told 80 percent of basically the 80 percent of the transactions in nickel happen over the counter about 20% of the world's nickel transactions happen on the London Metals Exchange. But the London Metals Exchange is kind of like the COMEX. It's a price setting mechanism that a lot of contracts base off of. Um, but I think if you tie that back to gold and silver, um, yes, if you have an event happen where people say, in reality, the fragility of the system is the physical world. If you start seeing people demand delivery, the system will crack. There's no way around it. There's too much leverage on you know derivatives, and, and even though the futures activity has been diminished, there's still a lot of leverage and hedging and and uh, uh, promises to pay and promises to deliver deliver that may just not be be able to be fulfilled. So. Uh, but it's all dependent on people starting to take delivery uh, from these exchanges. If that happens, 
you could be game over. I mean, you go try and get metal from SLV, try to get metal from, you know, from Sprott's fund up in Canada. If Trudeau wants to say, listen, you know, the Royal Canadian Mint, where everything's stored at, is a crown corporation uh, and, and Canada is a constitutional monarchy. It's not a democracy. So uh, if they want to, they can just turn off the lights on the Royal Canadian Mint, for example, and say no metal is going to leave or, or enter. Um, what are you going to do? You can't sue the government. I mean, the, the Texas Depository is the same way. In the in the language in their contract, it has an immunity clause, and in the immunity clause says you can't sue them for or they they don't have any liability for loss. And so, um, it, those are things that you know that people need to understand as they as they you know place their investments or they're looking at different types of opportunities or if they, you know besides buying physical metal and storing it in your house if you're looking outside of that realm let's say you want to put more money into the metals out of your portfolio and you're starting to look at structured programs or professional storage you know you definitely want to read these agreements because they have you know potential liabilities and responsibilities uh, uh, that are listed in in those clauses so if the government wants to do something you know it may be out of these programs control uh and and that that's where you could get impacted right and so as far as the information you shared about what's happening in canada or the, what the possibilities of what could happen in canada uh basically everything basically being nationalized if it, if it came if it came down to it it's very concerning to say the least because that's something i haven't really heard many people mention and so that's definitely something we can dive deeper into i'm sure but i'm curious to get your thoughts on you know what's the current condition of the physical markets for the smaller uh, retail buyers, as far as you know, because the premiums are reflecting something completely different. Physical and the premiums. Give us your take on that. What What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Yeah, the the, the premiums right now. It's the, the issue stems with blanks uh, that these uh, the the mints uh, have made for them, so they can stamp and make their products. Uh, so they're one ounce coins, for example. There is just a shortage, or it says say short. I hate the word shortage in this world, but tightness of blanks. It's just the ability to get enough blanks to make the production to meet demand is the issue, and so, um, and it's happening everywhere. It's not just the U.S. Mint. It's you know, it's the Royal Mint in in ever in UK. It's the Austrian Mint. It's the you know the Rand Refinery making for for Krugerrands. I mean, a lot of mints are having problems, and then what happens is when uh, when that those premiums rise in coins, people will then gravitate to 100-ounce bars, 10-ounce bars, 1-ounce rounds, 1-ounce bars. And then all of a sudden, you just get a tidal wave of, of shift of demand into those products. And then, of course, they run behind schedule uh, uh, or, or delay delivery start to build up. So you start to see premiums rise on that. What's happened in the in the in the market, though, and I think it frustrates a lot of people, is they see the price of silver eagles and they go, "God, why isn't silver at thirty dollars an ounce if the silver eagles at you know fifteen dollar premium?" I kind of attribute it to you know going to Home Depot and and looking at two by fours and using the retail price on a two by four as that's what lumber should be priced at on a global basis. <laughs> um, it's just, it, th these are retail products. The thousand ounce bar market is much more important to the actual silver price, the, 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 the stated silver price than a retail product is. It's a shame because it's, it gets confusing, but that's just how the system works. So um, what you are seeing is tightness start to build in the markets and you see these wild swings. Uh, you may not see it as a retail investor, but 
you're seeing exchange for physical premiums, which is basically the spreads between New York and London, the spot market and the futures market. You're seeing as like LME, like the nickel price, you know, you see that swinging up and down. Well, you're seeing these spreads change radically um, uh, on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis, which they've never done before. And so you're seeing the stress in the system and that stress could be coming from either people demanding for delivery or shorts that either don't have the metal and they, they, you know, they're trying to find it or they're trying to close out their contract and roll the contract to the next, the, the next front month um, or the next lead month contract. It, it, it's, but those are the, those are the cracks that I'm seeing in the system right now that, Again, all you have to do is start seeing physical players saying, listen, okay, now let's all go to the COMEX and start demanding bars. I mean, that, you do that and it's like, it can be game over very quickly. Even though there's plenty of silver out there, it's the silver at the margin is what really matters. You know, Because right now you have metal sitting in London, which is a lot of metal there. But if you put it on a, on a ship and ship it over here, it may take three to four weeks to get from London to New York. Well, that doesn't help the guy who is short metal and needs to cough it up. Otherwise they have to buy back the contract. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have these, these stresses that may be embedded in the system. And that's, what's, that's what you're seeing in terms of this volatility. But, but, mm -hmm. the, but that, that, that's, I think to me, that's, that's showing that there's interest in the market uh, for physical metal. Right. And so as you're describing that, you know, you have, the, I guess, tug of war between, you know, the dude, the spot in the futures market or whatever, back and forth, as you're saying, you know, I wonder what point does that back and forth actually decide becomes irrelevant in reference to what's happening in the rest of the world? Because I, I saw recently that India, I think, is looking to set up a spot mechanism for the price of metal there. And I think the Shanghai has their own already. And what Russia is doing something like, you know, the West is still they can play these games as long as they want more than likely. But at what point will something break and the world recognize that, you know, the price set by the West is nowhere near what it should be in relation to all the, you know, currencies that's been created to paper over the world. So uh, just as we draw towards the end, waiting on some type of event to unfold, depending on how things play out, God forbid, it's, 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 you know, complete game changer, but in reference to what we've experienced with the amount of paper created, in your opinion, what do you think the, paper price would be of metals if you take into account all governments around the world doing the same exact thing what would the price of gold and silver be in a in a in a real world of price discovery in your opinion um you could i mean there's different ways to kind of look at that you can measure it from a standpoint of money supply you can measure it from a standpoint of, of foreigner foreign held u.s treasury debt because um, that was a measurement that that people looked at um, back in uh, in in 1980, for example, um, to come up with that gold price. I mean, but nowadays the numbers are just gigantic. So, um, you know, to some of these numbers, you're talking twenty five thousand dollar gold. I think if you saw twenty five thousand dollar gold, I think you'd have to be more more worried about lead at that at that point than you would <laughs> at gold. Um, but that's the sad thing about our business is if it ever, if the metals ever did take off. It's not because everything's roses and unicorns out there. It's it's a pretty difficult world, and so I think that's. But that's the that's the reality of the precious metals is that when it has its heyday in the sun, it's probably closer to the end of the system, or at least it's going to feel like the end of the system. Um, you know, it may not be. You know, you may see a lot of volatility in the markets, but 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 that's the 
you know, that's this 40 years of kicking the can down the road and you're seeing the cracks developed. You're seeing the malfeasance of, of capital being invested in, you know, meme stocks and all these other types of investments that, you know, the, the, the private uh, equity investments that, you know, uh, WeWorks and all these crazy uh, ideas that were private companies that, you know, billions got sunk into them and they just, you know, they were just cash burning uh, operations. They never really made any money. Uh, and, and the whole idea was, okay, t take it public and then pawn it off onto the public. And that's my exit strategy. Well, that, that may not work because the, the, the Federal Reserve now at this point is saying, listen, we got to curb inflation. Our back's against the wall. We got to start cutting or increasing rates or at least, and which they, they started that, but they haven't actually expanded started reducing the balance sheet. In fact, the balance sheet's actually been rising as, as they've been um, talking about tightening, which is kind of an oddity. So, but if they did start to, to uh, decrease their balance sheet size, you still have the other side of the equation where the government after April and May, they're going to be going back to deficit spending and, 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 and they're going to be coming back to market with a hundred billion dollars in debt, which, you know, the last two years, the, the Federal Reserve has bought about 100% of that debt with QE. Well, they're not going to have that uh, th that win to the back. So that $100 billion that the Treasury is going to come to market with, it's going to be absorbed by the market. And that's going to be a tightening effect on the stock market. Uh, it'll probably push interest rates higher. Um, those are, those are, that adds to this volatility. And, 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 creates more uncertainty and that more uncertainty will will shift people more to the precious metals. I think that's what you're going to start seeing here. You're going to see more mainstream uh, audiences, more macro players look at gold and silver and say, this thing hasn't moved in 10 years. You know, you know, silver is greatly underperformed. It's the only metal below its 1980s price. I mean, it's, it, it, there's a lot of attributes that says, listen, I'm not at the, I'm not chasing this thing. It hasn't really even really started running yet. So you could see a lot of money coming into the sector. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of us physical guys say, well, that's really what matters. The games that are played on paper and so forth can break. But when they do, it's going to be like a hockey stick move, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm glad you hinted at, you know, silver being the most undervalued. And so, I, you know, silver historically has always been the people's money, been the most used medium of exchange amongst, you know, your, your average, you know, Joe and Jane. So it, it, in your opinion, is silver really that um, the, the, the greatest, or not greatest, but one of the biggest opportunities for your average retail investor to hold on because of, it hasn't reached its all-time high, as you mentioned before, and things of that nature. Silver is silver really that deal, in your opinion? Well, I, I mean, just to be, be full disclosure, my hedge fund invests in gold and silver, and it's seventy-three percent weighted to silver, twenty-seven percent weighted to gold. Uh, you know, about four or five years ago, it was about eighty percent gold, twenty percent silver. So, uh, I think when we hit one hundred and twenty-five to one on that gold-silver ratio uh, back in March of twenty twenty, I think that was probably it. You'll probably never see that number probably in our lifetimes again. Um, I think it's like pulling back on a rubber band. And now that 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 trade is going to go the opposite direction in an extreme fashion uh, uh, down to 20 to one or 15 to one. So I, I to me, I'm uh, I. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And I think silver will outperform gold on a relative basis. Not to say that gold and silver will both perform well. I think it just silver will be the money maker, so to speak. And then at some point you may want to roll out of that into gold or you, or you look at asset levels again, and you look at relative valuation, you just try to find the next asset. 
Understandable. Bob, man, I thank you for dropping a wealth of knowledge on us. Uh, please point people back to your direction to be a blessing to your work. Can you plug them in with your social media, the company, things like that? You feel free to have at it. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, my website is uh, www.goldsilvervault.com, uh, all one word. And then uh, I'm on Twitter as well, Profits Plus ID. Uh, on Twitter as well. So we, I try to put out some interesting information, stuff that's, you know, that's uh, uh, knowledge based. So you can learn about the markets as well as, you know, there's some funny pictures I'll put up there, funny videos as well, just to, to kind of a little bit of uh, a breath of fresh air. But yeah, it, 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 my attempt is really to try and educate people and help them understand the markets. Understandable. Well, once again, Bob, thank you for joining us on RTN Views. Definitely look forward to hopefully have you back on the future and seeing where we're at at that point. But thank you for blessing us with your presence. And other than that, continue to do what you do, educating people and helping people, as I say here, get your, get your weight up. So appreciate sure. you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you.